Hey everybody, so I'll start off today's podcast, um, a little bit of practice pad stuff, um, yeah, it's just um, trying to remind myself and um, also just encourage anybody else who's getting a bit bored or losing a bit of focus or whatever, you know, we're sort of a few weeks into this thing at the moment, um, it's a bit of a, it's an interesting time for musicians, um it's you know there's lots of opportunities actually sort of occurring i'm going to talk about some of them today uh, that i've had in the last few weeks um but also there might be stuff that you know that you're also opportunities that you've got as well um i'm hoping that things are you know positive for you but if you know if you're not feeling particularly positive it's just remembering that we do you know we have the opportunity still to just kind of use this time if we can to um, spend a bit of time just on the pad or whatever and just doing a bit of technique or working on some things that you wanted to work on for years and just not at the time or not felt kind of like you've got the headspace for it or whatever and um, yeah if you really you know if you're struggling at the moment with not having a lot of focus or whatever then um, reach out you know reach out to people around you or um, you know drop me a line happy to you know have a chat um, via the old kind of social media thing or whatever Um, you can find me drummy dave on instagram or um, drummy d at gmail.com drop me a line happy to chat away about any drum kind of related stuff or just anything really but you know this obviously is a drum podcast so yeah but just hope you're feeling positive I've um, been trying to stay focused. Um, I'm very lucky uh, for a number of reasons, which I've kind of talked about already, but, you know, I'm still at work. So last week I had a bit of time off work, and um, so I kind of didn't I didn't do a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Then uh, I was lucky enough at the end of last week to be able to get together with my old friend Stuart McCallum and do a do a, uh, an interview with him um and it was funny because we you know we got to the end of that and it was really quite long uh, i didn't include all of it there was there's quite a lot of stuff before and there was quite a lot of stuff after which um which i cut out because it really felt like there's a kind of natural ending and uh and it was just one of those things where we, we you know we ended up just sort of chatting about things but then having, you know, listened back to it and me and Stuart had a chat about it, we were both happy with, you know, what you know how it went and what we talked about. We both kind of realised we'd talked about hardly anything, really. Um, so I think we are going to do another one, hopefully pretty soon. Um, might even be in the next few weeks because obviously we're in the same situation we are. I'm um, not sure when that episode will come out. It might, just, might not come out for a bit. I might save it for a few months, but I might just... You know, release it soon. Depends on on what else is going to going on in my virtual and real world, um, which is not a great deal to be honest with you. So there's uh, not much to get excited about. But the um, yeah, I'm but I'm still kind of at work. So um, I'm still been teaching, which is just finished this week. Um, the kind of formal teaching. We're carrying on doing a little bit more, helping out. Some of our students have got some assessments to do in this kind of virtual world now. Um, but generally, yeah, the academic year for teaching is finished, which is a kind of crazy thing anyway, regardless of the current situation. But, not, you know, normally 
it's a funny thing the semester two because it, it, it's broken up by um an extra holiday because it's like we have a reading week and we have this thing called a project week um which is kind of enrichment stuff and different things goes on which is kind of outside of most of the curriculum stuff that goes on in the project week not for the first years but for second and third years um then you have kind of Christmas, and then semester two has the same two weeks. There's a reading week where we do a lot of auditions, and the students go off and do kind of do a bit of reflective stuff. Some, some of them go home, um, but the, generally, there's, the idea is to kind of reflect on the, the sort of previous four or five weeks, depending on how many weeks there've been, the teaching weeks there've been. Um, and then they then we do auditions and stuff in the reading week and bits and bobs of stuff. Um, certainly for jazz and and also the classical pathway that we run you know, in semester one. We um, it's a very busy time the reading week uh, in semester one and the reading week in semester two because they're both you know we're both filled with lots and lots of auditions so um, and then we have this other project week in semester two and then we have a Easter holiday and this uh, this year the Easter holiday was a bit shorter than normal it was only two weeks and uh, I think it'd be the same next year but um, it kind of breaks up the semester and then we come back and we either have two or one teaching week and this year it's just one you know and obviously we're in this kind of unique situation which is um you know with this lockdown thing which we're still in and um it's certainly going to go on for the next uh two weeks i i would think probably um five more weeks personally that's my view but uh, we'll see uh, we never know things might change uh but yeah so i'm still kind of at work and we've got assessments and things doing and so that kind of that does help to keep one focused but then um there's also you know stuff to do um with sort of practicing and all that kind of stuff so i've been trying to kind of stay on that and um yeah trying to sort of have a have a have a good rhythm and balance with the sort of home life um which we we've, we've been managing to do we've managed to keep this kind of the daytimes have a have a particular rhythm about them um and i tend to try and come away from just get away from inside being inside the house and and come out here into the the sort of drum shed that's in the back of the garden and because uh, yeah, i'm pretty well set up here you know i've got um, my computer and stuff and obviously all my drums and things and i've got also i kind of trying to get a little bit into electronics um not electronic music but literally you know capacitors and diodes and circuit boards and soldering and led lights and stuff so i've kind of got all that stuff here um at the moment but we are um this spring we were supposed to have a new shed another new shed which is um we've got a normal shed not this drum kind of shed which is a more of a sort of house really it's a proper building um, which you know, is alarmed and locked and everything, you know, double glazed and all that stuff. But the 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 shed that we have in the garden, the other part of the garden is an absolute horror show. It's um, it's basically um, I don't know how long it's been up, but I mean several different kind of types of animal have, have definitely eaten quite a large part of the lower part of the shed. Um, there's lots of holes in it, and uh, but that shed. It's going to be replaced. I've been doing some digging in the, the back of the garden, digging out um, some of the rocks and stuff that are just in front of the shed to try and get an extra um, four feet, basically. 
So I'm hoping to get a new structure built down there, and it was supposed to be happening this April, but obviously there's nothing happening at all in that kind of with that kind of stuff in the UK, which is probably the same with people in uh, most of the rest of the parts of the world that are listening to this. Um, so yeah, the um, the new shed's probably going to come in June, and what I'm hoping then with the new shed is to move all of the um, anything that's kind of to do with you know, fixing things generally, uh, all the power tools and everything. Uh, it'll be a proper shed, a proper lock shed with a proper workbench and vice and stuff. And all I'm going to try, I'm going to move all my all my sort of soldering iron and all that stuff into the shed. So I've got a sort of workshop down there, which I can keep out of here. Um, so, but it's, yeah, but it's, again, it's a good place to come to because I can kind of, you know, come and work on bits of projects and this, that and the other. But also, obviously, practice um so what else have i been doing well one of the big things i've been doing over the last two or three weeks because i've been doing uh quite a lot of um recording and a little bit of recording for other people so um i've been basically spending a bit of time uh also learning more about logic uh which has been really interesting and uh I realised it's one of those things where, like, I used to use Cubase for years, um, and I got pretty good with Cubase. And then I, um, you just get into a kind of habit with how you use software, don't you? And the bottom line is, I didn't really know what I was doing with uh, with audio recording because I'm not an engineer; I don't know really anything about it. Um, and people that do know about that. They really, really do know. They, they've got. I always think they've got kind of ears on a different level. It's like piano tuners, you know, people that tune pianos. Something about those people that they, I, it feels to me like they have a sixth sense. They've got some. They kind of hear things differently, um, and yeah, yeah, it's just something very, very um, interesting. Those people, uh, I've known. A couple of piano tuners, uh, reasonably well in my life, and they've both been very interesting people, um, and definitely on the sort of side of uh, of just like hearing and and sort of feeling vibration within spaces and stuff. And there's like yeah, it's just something about them that's got a bit of a kind of sixth sense going on. Um, but yeah, so that that's the kind of uh, the studio engineer thing. Um, I just wouldn't put myself in that league, you know, um, because I think that we have this idea that, like being a musician, and especially a musician like like this, the kind of music that I tend to play, you've got to be a good listener, you know. And I think that goes with the territory of uh, of, um, of of just being a person, of being a, a, a person who's able to listen to other people when they're speaking and being able to kind of get people to speak and get people to sort of tell their story or, or to, you know, talk about what's going on with them, especially when you're teaching, but also as a, as a pro musician, you know, you, you want to definitely feel like, like people uh, feel like they're being listened to by you, not only as people, but as a musician. And, uh, and people, I, I always used to mistake that. I used to think, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I think I'm a good listener. I'm, I'm I've definitely got, you know, I've got good, 
concentration when I'm playing and I I definitely respond to the people that are playing around me and, you know, I kind of understand a little bit about how my subconscious brain's working and stuff when I'm playing and, you know, I haven't heard myself back enough and, and thought about what I was listening to, actually physically listening to when I'm playing, what, what I was really listening to. It's, it's all very interesting, that stuff. I don't want to get into that now, but... Um, but there's definitely, uh, um, I definitely made the mistake of thinking, oh, you know, I must be a good, I'm a, if I'm a good listener, I must be able to record myself with microphones and, you know, and stuff because I'm good at hearing. And it's like, there's just a completely different vibe, you know. Um, so there's kind of that side of it, which I still feel like a bit of a fraud, really. You know, I just set up the mics and try and self-level within my playing, um, which is something I was going to talk about in a little bit, actually, um, just about when, what, you know, sort of recording techniques and about how you can kind of, um, how you use different self-leveling when you're recording, if, you, if you're getting asked by an engineer or producer to change something in the instrument. But um anyway i'll talk about that in a minute but uh but the general thing of of actually knowing how i'm supposed to be recording and how the software is supposed to be working i've been really like getting a lot better at that and uh learning how to sort of bust things uh reverbs and you're uh, doing like setting up punch tracks for you know for if i'm recording something that's quite groovy or rocky and so it so it cuts through a mix and things so it's been really interesting. So it's, I've been able to sort of, you know, spend a bit of time, particularly last week when I was off work, um, doing that, and uh, and also in the evenings, you know, just watching little videos. And um, I recommend somebody actually. I don't normally do any kind of shout outs to anybody, um, and this, you know, this person in no way doesn't they don't know anything about me, and uh, not not connected in any way. It's not a kind of sponsorship thing or anything. But I, I found this guy called Music Tech Help Guy. Um, he's on YouTube. He um, I th- he plays drums and stuff, and I think he, he sings and plays guitar. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I haven't watched a lot of his videos. I've tended to – what I tend to do is I tend to find somebody I, I, that I, I kind of like the way they explain things. And it's the, generally the style of music and stuff is irrelevant because it's just about the way they explain process. And uh, I just like the way – I looked at quite a lot of videos like about how, how people explain busing or, or how to use compression. And and I and I just found the way this guy explains things, um, I found it really kind of connected with the way my brain understands things, you know. And that's that thing, again, about finding somebody, you know, who you like, uh, you know, you like to teach you, you know. There's – the world is full of – uh, all information, you know, now is available to all of us. Um, but yet we still make decisions about studying or, or learning with somebody because of the way in which they explain things and the way in which we learn things. Sometimes it's good to learn things in a way that's different than how you learn because it teaches you new uh, skills in, in your mind and how you concentrate, how you can focus, and how you can absorb information and maybe think more um, laterally or you know think about things in just a diff with a different perspective um but if you're spending a lot of time like a lot of us do the musicians kind of in the self-learning world you know so you go and see a teacher they give you some like kind of exercise to practice which is great and you go away and you work on it for six months 
that's that's self-learning really you're not checking in every week um the great thing about like the, the way I get to teach and the students I get to teach is that they are like they're on this kind of exponential learning um, path. You know, they're practicing a lot and they're coming back every week, making big, big strides in progress if they're working effectively and understanding and remembering the information that they're being given. But uh, you know, my, I don't have time to work like that because I've got so many other things going on in my life, and I'm you know I'm older and stuff, and I don't I, you know don't have an urgency to work in that way either. But I still am practicing and learning and, and getting better and trying to sort out coordinational issues, particularly and all those kind of things. So I spend a lot of time self learning. So I tend to think that when you're if you're going to get challenged in the way you learn, then it's something that's probably an ongoing thing. You know. I had this when I um, when I got into driving uh, cars on the track quite a few years ago. Um, I found somebody uh, just through a kind of social thing at the circuits. Uh, I found somebody that um, I had a lot of I, I've had a lot of lessons with, and and uh, the guy uh, called Tim Harmer. Uh, he's a great guy. I really like him a lot. He's a funny guy, very down to earth, incredible driver very very knowledgeable um but the thing that i found challenging with tim and i think i've talked about this in an earlier podcast was the way in which he taught and the way in which i learn and uh i had some we had some very challenging um uh what's the word (laughs) exchanges you know and um but the, the the bottom line in that situation because of the nature of you know i am i mean i'm still pretty useless at um driving quickly uh, on circuits uh i tend to overthink things you know i'm i'm someone that you know i i think about it and you and it's something that you shouldn't be thinking about really um you've got to you've got to have that kind of brave you've got to have the brave pills you've got to get over that kind of scary stuff in order to gain that car control that then allows you to not think about oh my god am i going to crash and go into a ball of flames on this next corner you know by going in 10 mile an hour too quickly i do i have this you don't know whether you have the skills to control the car you know and uh yeah i've kind of got better definitely got better but the way in which i was taught was very challenging for me because it didn't work with the way in which i normally get taught and normally learn uh, i certainly don't respond well to being told what to do uh, or being kind of um, you know shout, shouted at in effect or being kind of you know forcibly um, told to do this that and the other and uh, that world the motorsport world uh, i've been you know i've been socially uh, there's a there was a group of people that i used to see quite regularly and then i used to go away uh, once a year over to Spa, Frankenstein in um, in Belgium, and go to the Grand Prix circuit, and it was a, it was a two day track day event, and we, it was a big social thing. We'd drive over on the ferry; it was great, and a lot of great people. But those people um, are from different walks of life. But the thing that connects us all is, is this car thing, and, and and it's quite a macho world, you know. Uh, and I'm I'm not really very macho you know pretty sensitive person really so i find all that side of it a bit challenging uh especially on the social side of it um 
but there are you know there's certain characters which I got to know that you kind of get to know the people that are similar to you in personality and also have a connection with cars and um and so but I did get to got to a good place with Tim with learning um because the thing that I realized about the way uh the way he taught and the way I was learning is that you there has to be a degree and it's right that that there has to be a degree of pushing yourself um you know in a in a way which is slightly uncomfortable to you because because basically the the situation demands that you know if you go out on a circuit and you're just driving around within your comfortable kind of um you know window of driving it's like you're not going to be doing anything you're just going to be you know you might as well just go for a drive on a b road in the country because you know the way in which you drive on circuits and the way in which people drive on the road even people that are driving fast on the road is a completely different thing you know it's it's just the way in which you drive the car and every everything about it is totally different and um yeah i've you know i've got a lot of experience of driving in that way now which is which makes me quite experienced you know in that respect but the the way in which you know because it was a like a new skill for me and it was something that i was regularly having lessons i made a sort of commitment to somebody to whenever i was at a circuit and he was there i'd have some lessons with him and it's not something i've done for the last couple of years because i haven't really uh, been doing a great deal of driving and i haven't really got a car and stuff and it's been a sort of slightly different situation but uh but you know hopefully that thing that'll sort of change in in the future back to the kind of situation i used to have uh you know a year or so maybe two or three years ago um but that's that i see those kind of situations as being different than when you're when you when you kind of you get this information and you self-learn you spend time on your own developing something which you've been shown by somebody um so i i thought it was really good for me to to have those lessons in in the driving thing and be challenged in the way that i learn it was it was good for me um in helping me with other aspects of my life you know um so it's something that you you know you should definitely think about um but anyway that was a kind of little bit of a tangent there but i was i found this anyway this guy music tech help guy you know i uh, found this guy on youtube oh i like the way this guy explains things so i was finding that very useful and then bizarrely i've had uh two or three different projects and people ask me to do uh, some recording at home for them, you know. And I don't have a setup here which is, you know, a proper professional recording setup. It's a demo setup at, the, at best, you know, because it's only four tracks and it's a very it's a very kind of live-sounding thing. I have two overheads, snare and a kick mic, and that's it. I don't have the... I don't have a fancy preamp um i don't have fancy microphones so but it's been nice to be able to do some um do some recording for people i got asked by an old very old friend of mine called ollie collins a great bass player he used to play a lot with and uh, and still do occasionally but we we've sort of been doing different projects for the last sort of five or six years um but uh yeah we have played together recently and uh yeah we're good friends and uh, he asked me to do um, do a record a track for him uh, for an album that he's making, um, and he wanted that kind of live, you know, very kind of simple drum sound, you know, not too many complicated things, just uh, 
sort of overheads, um, snare and bass drum. So that's nice. I did some stuff for him. And it was great to be able to record and know all this new stuff, you know, about kind of how to just record properly and how not where not to put reverb and how to you know how to use the channel eq properly and and how to use the compression properly and all that kind of stuff um i mean funnily enough for him uh, i was sending things flat so just as was you know um well then yeah i got asked by another old friend of mine another great bass player amazing musician called steve berry steve um, just dropped me this kind of message and said, oh, do you want to do, um, do you want to record? I've been messing around with this arrangement of a tune. Do you want to put some drums on this? I'm going to get some other people to play on it. And that's a kind of work in progress at the moment. I put I put some guide, I put some drums down to him and sent him a kind of guide track, just an MP3, which he's used for the other people that are recording on top of it. And then he'll mix that. But he'll, he'll mix the, the four tracks that I've got eventually. But doing that as well which has been great and then i've been working with some guys who um who were writing a film score uh, who i did some i did some demoing uh, well I just i did some playing for for a pitch they were doing a few months ago uh, just before uh, this kind of coronavirus lockdown thing happened actually and uh and then they they're now they're now uh, writing the music for a film which uh, they want me to uh, play on so, so I've been able to do some demoing, which I was like doing just before this, actually. Just doing a bit of demoing for them, which is basically, you know, they're sending guide parts. So some things have drums on, some don't. And, you know, they'll always have a click and stuff. They'll always give me the tempo. And I will just play along. And it's great because uh, we've got like a Dropbox thing set up. I just send um, my kind of, I, I'll get a little bit of guidance off them. And then I will send through uh i'll do maybe two three takes initially get a kind of structure uh, in my head these things are normally between 10 and 60 seconds long you know so not complicated but they they have there's a lot of kind of detail you kind of end up getting into in, in those sort of situations um and so yeah, I was kind of sending, I'd send that back and then get an idea whether I was in the right ballpark or not. But you can be really super efficient, you know, um, just with that demoing thing. If you get into a into a setup with people where you know you've got your you've got your little templates ready, then you can bring in the stuff that they send you, do a few rough takes, have a listen back, and then uh, and then send off like kind of a basic idea. You can get all that done within an hour, you know. And uh, and so if you're thinking about studio time, if you were if you were kind of demoing a studio situation, you know, a lot of the time you you don't get anything done for three or four hours really, um, just because of sound, especially for drums, getting a getting a drum set up. I mean, that's more maybe you know connected to proper recording, but um, but it's interesting because they these two guys are very specific about things that they want to hear in on the kit. You know they want things balanced in a, in a certain way. So it's been really good. It's been really good for me because I've been practicing, and I tend to have this thing when I'm practicing anyway. Where and I say this to students is if I'm practicing something that's a coordinational exercise, so it's got four parts going on. Uh, that's kind of my bench part 
sorry, benchmark for um, doing practicing something that I would class as a coordinational exercise. I I don't I don't tend to even count things that are just with my hands and one foot as as coordinational. I mean, they are, of course, they are, but. What I'm always looking to do is is have some kind of ostinato in the other foot that is not playing whatever the coordinational thing is. So, um, like one of my warm up exercises that I was doing today, actually something that I learned off um, of somebody uh, last year was just a very simple exercise. You do a paradiddle, um, right, left, right, right, and then you do a single foot right foot um so it's a group of five things paradiddle foot paradiddle which is the we're starting with the left hand now so you do an alternating paradiddles but there's, a, there's basically a bass drum in between each four hits so it's groups of five um so okay so that's the exercise. Um, I'm not going to play the rest of it because I'm not on the kit. But the I I I would practice that exercise to learn it, but I wouldn't class that as coordinational. When I add the left foot playing cr- the crotchets, the quarter notes, I would then co- class that as a coordinational exercise. You see, you see what I mean? So suddenly, by adding the left foot ostinato in. Um, then the, the the right left right right foot left right left left foot right left right right foot left right left left foot right or whatever it is you know that pattern um, even though you know a pattern is an ostinato isn't it if I'm playing the same pattern round and round it becomes an ostinato doesn't it um, it's like if you had a sequencer and you wrote a sequence of notes that were looped it becomes an ostinato or a sequence or a pattern they're all the same thing but. The left foot is the one thing that's kind of, kind of counter to that all to all that. It's the center of the time, and it requires. So you, the 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 right foot will play with it, a semiquaver after it, a quaver after it, three semiquavers after it, or a dot quaver after it, and it will play with it again. And it could be because of the nature of the way that cross rhythm works. The way the four and five things works, it's one semiquaver later every time. So um, that's like a you know warm up exercise that I do, and it's a and and it's a warm up exercise. It's nice because I'm playing paradiddles. Um, it makes me think about my foot, about getting grounded, and also my left foot as well. So it's nice to have that have that kind of um, have that thing going on. Um, and just you know, just play that for five, five, five or ten minutes when I first sit at the instrument, uh, not too quickly, and then maybe play at a second speed. Um, but I always find it's a nice exercise to kind of ground myself behind the instrument. Though. That's that's kind of why I play that. I've got a couple of others I've been I've been looking at as well, you know. But um, but that's you know that's been sort of uh, that's why I'd class that as a, a coordinational exercise. And so what's useful with that is you can practice uh, any exercise that's coordinational. So you can be practicing like swing time, left hand uh, patterns, playing on or off beat triplets or whatever it is, two and four and a hi-hat and your feather in the bass drum. 
one of the things that I get students to think about, and I and I always think about, is being able to focus be able to change the focus between all between each limb individually and play that one sound you know and the reason why that's useful is because if you're recording in the studio and somebody says to you oh yeah i I like everything that you're doing but i want the snare drum slightly louder or i want the bass drum slightly quieter or i want the you know if you're playing on a cymbal or the hi-hat, oh, I want the hi-hat to be louder or quieter, then, you know, you've, you've got that level of control going on in your playing because you have practised in that way, you know. And this is what's really important here. It's that when you're practising, it's having those levels of awareness going on. Um, so if you've got that kind of multi-layered level of awareness going on of, of oh what am, what am i practicing i'm practicing this thing it's a coordinational exercise okay so i should have a good sound i mean i'm using now the example of of of, of things that i practice a lot is i practice things where i'm playing uh, a, a rhythm on the symbol the ride symbol it's normally kind of swing rhythm or some kind of uh, Afro-Cuban based rhythm or some sort of ostinato rhythm on, on the cymbal. The left foot will be doing some kind of anchoring part and then there's normally some sort of nightmare going on in the left hand or the right foot because I'm trying to get that those things, I'm trying to learn to uh, get those kind of action plans in my head together, that coordination going on within my playing, you know. And so there's there's that kind of level of understanding of the exercise there's you're choosing to do the exercise and you know what you're supposed to be doing but the the one thing that one should think about within that is about that self-leveling the ability to say oh can i play the bass drum slightly louder i've got the coordination of those parts down but but everything is still voiced in a really kind of uncontrolled way you know so it's just you can't do that at first, but it's something to consider once you've learned the coordinated patterns, you know. And that truly gives you another level of coordination, I think. I think it really changes. It's a real game changer, I think, for a lot of players when they've got that ability to be able to manipulate their own inner balance. It's like I always say when I'm teaching students, like, you know, it's like imagine if you've got sliders and you were like, if you were outside yourself, it's like a bizarre image. I know it's just like so bizarre. But imagine if you were sort of outside of your own body floating around in the room and you kind of had these sliders and you could turn the ride symbol up or you could turn the bass drum down or the hi-hat. It's, it's sort of being able to do that, you know, which is very, very strange. But But that's essentially what, producers and engineers will ask you to do and uh i had a couple of those things this week you know it was just you know i I recorded a part i got sent the part off and then got some got some information back oh could you just make this quieter oh could you just make that a bit louder uh and i remember years ago i was recording um for i worked uh in with this guy um in a band that was also he was also a producer and he wrote library music um so he was one of the writers in the band and it was like a it was like a rock 
it's like a punk sort of rock band thing. It's a long, long time ago. And uh, I've no idea why they ended up using me. But I think I think he sort of just liked the fact that I had a sort of like a quirky feel. I, I, I always think of myself as a kind of a, basically from a rock background, you know. But I've definitely had a massive influence of jazz has really influenced my feel and my sound, you know. Uh, so th- there's always a bit of a swing in everything that I do, and it's just the way that I play, and that's it. You know, there's, that's kind of that's the way I am, and, and it's uh, you know I I accept it, and I kind of don't try and do anything about it, change it. But if somebody really wants me to play really straight, um, then I can do that, you know. But I, I will naturally not do that. And but I remember recording once with him, and he was he he was doing some. Um, writing some library music for something and it was like a kind of rocky thing and uh it was in the days when um we had adats machines so it was digital recording but it was still with these sort of tapes you know and they were they were really amazing for punching and out you know they were just like logic now you'd 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 like be mid bar playing and then they'd drop you in and you'd you wouldn't hear the um you know the drop in it was amazing technology really uh, and it sounded great you know like like that you know that these remember that recorders it was a brilliant sound they had amazing sound i th- i just don't th- quite think we have that uh now with um especially with the with the culture of mp3s and stuff you know i mean i upload these podcasts and i do them at 128 kilobytes you know um for speech but that's like, you know, it's 10 to 1 ratio of WAV, isn't it? It's, it's like massively compromised sound. And that's this is just for speech. Um, but yeah, record onto the ADAT. I think the ADATs were 48K, I think. Um, but yeah, they, it was... But I'd be recording and, and I'd sort of, you know, uh, make a mistake or something. And and we'd have a listen back and he'd go, oh, I really like what you've done there. Um, can you drop in? Or just play along and I'll drop you in. And I'd be like, oh, okay, okay, you know, be playing along. He'd drop me in. And then, like, 10 seconds, five seconds later, we'd stop the tape and go, no, that's, no, 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 that's not uh, working. Uh, and I'd be like, oh, right, is it not? Is the ADAT, oh, is it not dropping in right? Go, no, no, it's you. You're, you're, you're not playing in the same way you were playing. And, uh, he had these ama- amazing ears for so things like he'd say, "Listen back to the hi hat." In fact, he'd say, "Come in, have a listen to your drop in," and the hi hat would be slightly different. The velocity of it slightly different, uh, and I was like, it was like mind blowing. I'd never thought about that before. I mean, this was this was twenty. This was over twenty years ago, you know. Um, so I learned a lot from that experience. Just that thing of somebody saying, "Oh, you know, you're, you're not really nailing that. Um, you're not really nailing that that actual velocity part. So you're playing the right part, but it's the velocity. If we're going to drop you in, it has to have exactly the same velocity. And because I, you know, because I'd practiced my instrument properly and I had a good background of technique and stuff. Um. I was able to go in the studio and just I knew exactly what the velocity was. But it's just that thing of not paying attention, you know. I had the ability to do it, but I wasn't paying that much attention. And then it was like pointed out to me. It was so obvious. Um, 
So it's been, yeah, that, that's been, that's something that maybe when you're practicing, you should think about is that, is that ability to be able to have, have flexibility with all four limbs. Can I play the bass drum louder? Can I play the snare drum quieter? Can I play the hi-hat? Can I change the interloping feel? I mean, if I'm playing shank and tip, can I, can I make the shank sound, you know, warmer or, or more aggressive and, and the tip sound quieter, get a bigger interloping kind of sound? Um, if you want to check out some, you know, like an amazing uh, example of the sort of interloping hi-hat thing, Jeff Beccaro's, um I think some of that, he made a video for a company called Starlix, uh, which was like, I think they were a competitor to sort of DCI and Hudson Music and all that. When it was DCI, now became Hudson Music. But um, there's two great drum DVDs on Starlix. There's one by John Robinson. It's brilliant, and he plays, um, you know, he plays Ain't Nobody, and he plays uh, All Night Long, and and some other things. He talks about his snare drum library, and it's just brilliant. Um, and the other one is this very short video. It's about half an hour with Jeff Picaro in the studio with his brother Mike Picaro and uh, that guy David Garfield, uh, keyboard player, Los Angeles, uh, amazing session keyboard player, uh, and Picaro is. It's a really fast-moving video, uh, and they get through a lot of stuff. And he's, but I think it's only like thirty-two minutes long or something. But on that, he talks about this kind of interloping hi-hat thing about, and it's really omnipresent in his playing. And I found it because I was listening to Picaro when I was, you know, in my, when I was in my teens, I was listening to Toto, and uh, but I also realised later I was listening to him on a lot of other records because he was such a you know, prolifically recorded drummer, even to have like died in 92, I think he died or whenever it was, uh, you know, it's a long time ago. The amount of albums that he was on and the amount, the amount that he still talked about today, it's true testament to his influence and his impact upon the world of music. And his, his thing was, you know, he had a big thing about the social, the social side of music and groove and beats and where grooves were from and what they were for, you know. And I think more than ever in this world, <laughs> where we're living at the moment, we should remember that. Um, but it's a great thing if you can find some of those clips or even find that Starlix video. I don't know if it's still available. Um, I've got it on a uh, on a DVD somewhere. I don't know where it is actually. Uh, it's it's not online anywhere. It's not one you'll find on on YouTube or any of these kind of platforms. It's um, but I, I managed to get that one on a DVD. I don't think that the John Robinson one ever got onto DVD because they both came out on VHS. They were both video releases, I believe, originally. Um, but if you can watch those clips about the, the just the way in which he talks about interloping hi-hat and how that affects the groove of something, it's like a um, really, really fascinating uh, vibe, you know. So, um, yeah, I really recommend, really recommend that. So, um, but, yeah, so that, that's been kind of what's been going on for me uh, on the sort of um, in-between other stuff side of things uh in the last couple of weeks it's been it's been interesting time and it's been keeping me um it's been keeping me focused and again I, and i said this um a f- uh, two or three episodes ago when i was when um sort of talking about staying positive and staying focused and all that is 
is don't try and do too many different things, you know. It's, I think it's really important to, uh, to appreciate having, you know, um, some space and some time to do some studying. And so it's just to kind of embrace it and enjoy it. And then with that is to then spend time on just a few things, you know. Don't be doing lots and lots of things. Because uh, I think that it's kind of hard to do lots and lots of things really well. Some people can do it. I, I know some people that are great at that. They're just amazing kind of workhorses. You know, they'll get through a great deal of information in short amounts of time and really, really absorb stuff. And they've just got that kind of way of working. But most most people, um, they'll do uh, a better job of fewer things if they are allowed to do it. And a lot of people you know, in life is screaming out to do that. I want more time to just concentrate on this, that and the other. And so at the moment, you know, a lot of people do actually have that time. So just, you know, really enjoy that time, you know, make the most of it. And, um, you know, don't be sort of jumping around doing lots of different things and, uh, you know, thinking, oh, everybody. And it's just this thing as well. I saw somebody post something hilarious uh, on uh, social media yesterday and it just, it was a picture, it's got probably gone round, you know, I don't know who it was created by, but it was just one of these pictures where can can other people stop telling me what to do whilst we're in lockdown? And I just thought, how spot on is that, you know? Because, you, you know, you go on Facebook and, and Instagram and all these different platforms and even the television and because, you know, people are doing all these kind of positive things, you know, like people doing big gestures and, people doing this, that, and the other, we can sort of end up feeling like, oh, oh, I should be doing more, you know, I should be doing this. It's like, no, 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 you don't need to do anything. You just need to do what you need to do. And that's great that all the people are doing these amazing positive things and that they're motivated in that way, and that's that's brilliant, you know. But um, uh, for my my kind of attitude and my money for it is, one is to stay at home as best you can you know if, if that's still the situation that you're living in at the moment is just you know stay at home and don't put yourself at risk and or you know you know so that you, if you end up getting ill or something then you end up putting a strain on on the health services around you and all that stuff so just stay you know try and stay well and you know all that stuff all the kind of stuff we've been told by governments and by this that and the other um which is all you know pretty obvious really because that's the that's a big contribution, and then the other thing is to say is to stay mentally well. You know, um, by staying home, you you're sort of guaranteeing yourself to stay physically well in in respect of you know not getting ill. But mentally, you need to make sure that you know you are doing the things for you that make you feel happy and make you feel positive and make you feel like you're you know motivated in the right way for you. So yeah. I, I just thought that was really funny because I, I, I've, I felt a little bit like watching lots of things, watching you know, there's lots of people making big gestures. And, of course, you only see that, don't you, on social media and the television and things because people report it. You know, nobody reports you at home being super positive and practicing your stuff or just, you know, working on whatever it is you're working on, your little project nobody's going to talk about that are they because it's like who's going to know about it but it's just as valuable and just as worthwhile as as all this other stuff that's going on 
you know. And, uh, yeah, and it's having that kind of self-confidence as well to go, yeah, it's great, all that stuff that's going on over there is brilliant, but I'm just getting on with this simple stuff, just doing a few things. So, but, um, but yeah, and, and also try and, you know, reach out to your, uh, you know, to friends and people around you. Um, like I said at the beginning, if, if, you know, if you've not been in contact with somebody for a while, who's um or maybe you know you've seen a friend who's posted something maybe a bit negative or something on 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 social media or something you know just feeling a bit negative or you know feeling a bit out lost or out of focus is give them a bell you know and uh and just find out what's going on with them you know because that um that can really uh can turn things around somebody for very 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 quickly just hearing somebody else's voice and just you know geeing somebody along and having a bit of a laugh with them or, you know, whatever, just um, can make a big difference. So, yeah. But the main thing is, I would just stay, say is, is stay, you know, stay focused on on, on your own thing and, uh, yeah, in, in kind of enjoy that, you know, that time uh, working on whatever it is you're working on. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm definitely like my... I, I always set myself, you know, small goals, uh, small ambition. It's always worked best for me. Um, and so, and it's nice. I've been kind of writing, there's a couple of, two or three tunes that I've written myself, you know, I've been working on a little bit because I've been, because um, I've been learning this stuff about logic. So I've just had, I've needed some projects to focus that on. So, it's been it's been really useful to just be able to like um you know work on something that I've written a little bit not it's not for any end goal it's it's writing something so it's something to you know to work on in a learning process and uh it's great and that thing of like like in the past if I started mixing something I would get to a point where it started to sound kind of okay but it would i'd just start to get a bit lost with it all and uh the last thing i'd ever want to do is start again and it's been great because i've been there's this tune that i've been working on where i've started again with the mix of it four times you know just because i've kind of gone back to like oh actually yeah i want to be doing this with the drums so therefore i've got to get that right with the drums first so actually yeah, let's just start again. Like turning all of the plugins, all of the reverb, all of the compression, all each everything off and starting again. And it's just, you know, what else is there to do at the moment? Um, just enjoying the time of, of being able to just spend time spending time, you know. Um so yeah, that's um probably about it actually um so yeah keep practicing the thing i was playing by the way at the beginning is one of my favorite hand warm-up exercises it's uh flam accents um, those of you who know me reasonably well know i have a uh, i like i like a flam accent i like alternating flams So that's um, 
that's alternating flams, uh, which is related to the double stroke roll and the that's the two different versions of the Swiss Army triplet. But I, I like um, I like all those rudiments actually. But this yeah the flam accent thing. I like flam accents and I like putting pairs of flams in the middle of it. And I love that one where you do the, the, the last variation of it because the flam, the pairs of flams move, uh, they move um, later in the flam accent. So you get a flam at the beginning of the flam accent and you get a pair of flams on the first and second triplet quaver and then that moves through the triplet quavers. Then the next variation of it is on the second and third, and then the third variation of it is on the third and the first again, and and again you pay you play in groupings of four effectively, don't you? Blah blah da da blah da blah da blah blah da da da. Um, so I really like the last one of that third variation because you get three together, um, which is great, and and then I always like to play a whole bar. At the end of um, you know with the uh, with the alternating flams and uh, and I was looking at some other some other exercises. I was trying to invent some more exercises um, using the same approach, using the, this kind of flam accent or um, triplets with flams in it, essentially. Um, so I've been sort of trying to write some new exercises this last week, just new kind of warm-up exercises. Um, but I always find it hard to get the new exercises in because I always default back to the old ones, you know. Um, I think, well, a warm-up exercise is a warm-up exercise, you know. It's like running on the spot or stretching or something. I don't know. You know I don't do any exercise. I don't know what I'm talking about, really. But, you know, if you if you kind of get into exercises, some standard exercises that people do and they stretch before they get into their proper workout and uh, it, that tends to be my um, my stretching exercises. Flam uh, flam accents between one six four and one hundred and seventy two BPM, um, and lots and lots of single finger rebound. That's a single hand with the right the right hand just just rebound middle finger rebound normally in the middle of it as well just to kind of get the um to get like my left hand thumb there um just to get the left hand thumb working and get the middle finger working and stuff and get and also the rolls and it also may it means that you alternate you do a whole bar of uh of, of single uh of single-handed finger controlled uh rebounds triplets you then you create a flam to the next bar which means you've got to then start with the left hand which is nice because then and then you've got to do a whole bar of the left hand so they're kind of useful different different exercises really but i always this is my kind of default warm-up um i have default warm-up stuff with the feet using um there's two or three different things i'm doing at the moment one of them is that that parallel with the single bass drum thing uh that i was talking about before and then the other ones involve two bass drum hits. One of them is a paradiddle diddle exercise, and then with two bass drum hits at the end, and it goes up, goes from uh, an eight an eight semi quaver or quaver, 
or eighth notes, sixteenth note, doesn't matter really. Depends on what speed you played it at. An eight note grouping, so it's a paradiddle diddle. And then two feet. Sorry, two right foot strokes. Okay. I uh, hope you can hear that. It's just my foot on the floor. You probably can't hear that. But um, And then it moves up into triplets. And so that becomes more tricky. And there's an ostinato in that. The left foot is playing an ostinato. So the bass drum, it's just that right foot and left foot relationship thing. There's the, where the bass drum lands and where the left foot's landing. The, the bass, I have to be challenged in the right foot. I have to have it. I have to have something challenging going on in the right foot uh, because otherwise I end up... Um, just not pushing myself enough, you know. I think my right foot's basically like my driving vibe. Um, I can easily just cruise along the B roads, you know, with my right foot and do nothing interesting. Um, but actually, I need to push myself. <laughs> so, anyway, that's kind of that's it for this week. Um, hope you're well. Stay safe. And uh, thanks for listening if you have been, and uh, I will be back again next week. So take care and bye for now.